On today's episode, demystifying cockamamie schemes. Oh, wow. We're going to check that word out. Make sure it means what I think it means. And then we're going to talk about how Laura broke Old Navy. <laughs> Welcome to the ultimate crowdsource personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, so Brad, let's just, let me spot check me here. Cockamamie, I feel like I used it correctly. And at the same time, I'm terrified about what it might actually mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I looked it up just in the last 30 seconds, both on dictionary and on urban dictionary, which is always the scary place. I think you're good. It means ridiculous or implausible. So I think you're good. Thank you. All right, we are going to pot commit to it and uh, title the episode. So there we go. But I think first, before we even go to that, uh, breaking old Navy. (laughs) Uh, so many people think they're getting a good deal and they got 25% off, but it's still 75% on and you got to come back to use that $10 coupon for the next time. And that's kind of where it stops. Uh, my understanding is Laura broke the game. Yeah, this was very, very impressive. Yeah. I mean, she is just an excellent shopper and I think this has got to be her absolute best of all time. So I'm looking at a screenshot and Jonathan, you can lean over here. It's the subtotal for the goods here at Old Navy would have normally been $132.92. Laura paid a grand total of 80 cents. Literally 80 cents went on her credit card. Okay, well, first of all, I guess I need to do, go shopping with Laura this time because <laughs> that has never happened to me. And then second, how? Yeah, <laughs> she wrote me this whole email. She got eight items of activewear for her and the girls. And there was 50% off the site. That's kind of a standard thing. So nothing nothing extravagant here for Laura, right? What she did was she also, I guess, stacked that with a clearance. So you could get the normal 50% off. Plus, if something was on clearance, it was an additional 30%. So that original $133 basically went down by 82. So we're at 50 and a little bit of change, okay? And this is actually the important part because Laura actually had a $50 reward certificate from her old Navy credit card. So while we love travel rewards, obviously, Jonathan, when Laura's in between cards, she's actually the highest level status on old Navy because she's had this for like a decade or more. So to be clear, just to make sure I'm understanding that mean this is a, this is not just an old Navy department card in that you can only use it at old Navy. She is actually using this for cash and or for gas and groceries, et cetera. Right, right, right. Yes, exactly. So she uses her old Navy credit card. She gets, I think five times points per dollar. So she gets five X, which is incredible. And again, if she's going for a travel rewards card, that takes priority, obviously. But when she's in between cards, She actually puts money on her old Navy card and basically, as evidenced by this, gets the girls and her wardrobe for essentially for free. And the cool part about this was she found out other little discounts, of course. You want to stop there. No, you can never stop there. So it was free shipping if you spent $50 or more. She knew she had to get just over 
this $50. So she's finagling this. So when the coupon came off and the tax was adjusted, that it was ever so slightly over this $50 in essence, because otherwise she'd have to pay for shipping. So this 133 went down by that normal savings. Then she got free shipping. Then she had this $50 coupon that was going to expire. So quite literally 80 cents hit her credit card. So do you think that's replicable? Does she do that like once a year or is this like, I know you said it's the best she has ever done, but I mean, I guess to, to her credit, like she's looking for this. So it, when it is possible, she will be able to execute on it, but man, that's a, that's a pretty incredible discount. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly is. And to your question, like, yes, it is replicable. I would say, I mean, obviously it requires you to have this credit card and to have these rewards. Oh, and the other funny thing actually is she got, like you said, that sometimes they have those gimmicky discounts. I was going to ask, cause those are the ones that always nail me. Yeah. I never get the full value. So you, <laughs> you spend 20, 30 bucks and right. now you have this $10 off thing that you can use two or three weeks down the road, but you know, as soon as you go back in there, two or three weeks down the road, the prices are all going to be $10 <laughs> higher. So you're just right back to even. Right, right, right. I've never won with them, but yeah, I suspect we could, uh, I'll, I'll follow up with Laura to ask about that. So she did earn $20 in those kind of free gimmicky rewards. So we'll see. So she actually made out to the good theoretically, but I don't know if she'll actually use those or not. But I think stacking deals certainly is replicable. I mean, Laura very specifically looked for clothes they would like, clothes they would wear that were on clearance. Obviously, unlike going into a traditional store, when you're going online, there are going to be so many more options for sizes. So if you're looking the clearance rack at your local Old Navy, you're going to find maybe one or two items that, that are marginally decent and you're just praying that it's going to be in your size, right? Whereas online, I mean, they obviously have a significantly larger inventory. So stacking those two things together was smart. I think just knowing the rules, which is a tenant of five, as, as far as we look at it, is know the rules of the game. Laura knew she had this $50 gift card. She knew she had to get over 50 for the free shipping or else it was going to be eight or $10 for shipping, which nullifies the awesomeness of this. So knowing the rules of that, she was able to do this and she was just messing around with her cart. You should have seen her. I mean, I suspect there were probably one or two other things that she theoretically could have plugged in instead. Laura, but... what are you doing? You've been working on this for 45 minutes. Yeah. I'm in the zone, man. I'm in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> her hourly wage on this. But no, it was, it was very cool. So to me, the big takeaway is know the rules, see when you can stack things together. And yeah, I mean, this was a cool one because honestly, this gift certificate would have expired. It was actually one that she only had online and she had to log into her account. She didn't realize she had it until the last. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, talking about knowing the rules, I have a slight pivot here. I want to talk about whole life insurance, cockamamie schemes, whole life insurance, okay. where those two was there. I don't know. Uh, so context, a friend of mine has created a new national holiday called National Pumpkin Day or Pumpkin Day. Uh, and the rules behind Pumpkin Day are that it needs to be celebrated sometime when it's objectively fall, not summer, fall, not winter, fall, fall, fall. Okay. And everybody, you know, it's kind of for neighbors or friends and people will bring a new dish, something that has pumpkin in it. So you're going to have, you know, just the gamut, but you're going to have all pumpkin based dishes and it's just a hangout. It's a great time. It's growing in popularity. It is her uh, 19th version of this. I'm doing my part to promote it. Uh, yes, with this, this is not a sponsored segment, but I am excited <laughs> to help. Uh, and there were uh, close to 15 of us there this year after year 19. So, you know, it's exponentially increasing. Roots. I like it. <laughs> it's really going somewhere. But aside from that, I had two buddies uh, come up and talk to me. And it was interesting, the pattern of conversation. 
anybody who's met me knows that I can talk, would love to talk about finance as opposed to football anytime. It's just my, my preferred default status. And they were asking me about whole life insurance. And my one friend Ross was pushing back on whole life. He's had whole life his, his entire life. His parents bought it for him. He listened to our uh, segment that we did with the CEO or the founder of Policy Genius. And he was like, I feel like she kind of wrote it out of hand. And I feel like maybe there's something there. I just want to talk through it a little bit more and see, like, it seems like it's a really good deal. You know, my bias has always been buy term, invest the difference because whole life is multiples of term insurance. And because I know that and believe that, you know, I haven't looked into the numbers recently to find all the nuances of every single policy. And after that conversation, not because I was convinced, but because I wanted to be able to have a more, a better explanation of why I do what I do. I decided just to look and to see what the rates were so I could do some compare and contrast here. It about broke my brain because it is so complicated to understand. There are so many different terms. There's so much. I mean, I came away saying, oh my goodness, absolutely term all day long term. I mean, that's the TLDR. You can just skip ahead. But aside from that, I, I thought it might be fun just to explore this just because we haven't done a whole lot of it in the past. And for you to really see how valuable this whole uh, buy term invest the different strategy would be for all the different variances you might see of this idea, whole life insurance, cash value, life insurance, permanent life insurance, and the three different variations of that universal, et cetera. Um, what do you think? You want to explore this with me? Yeah, Jonathan, you certainly sound fired up about it. I would love to explore more. It's been years since I've really dived into the numbers of it. I know I came to a similar conclusion, but I think first, if you don't mind, I, I want to say just the sheer complexity, as you're describing that, it breaking your brain, like life is not that complex. And certainly financial products, if they're in your best interest, they are not that complex, right? There's a reason why things are hidden behind hundreds of pages of legalese. It's because they don't want you to understand. They don't want you to see the fees. And Granted, I have not looked at this, Jonathan. No, you're so, so right. I, <laughs> you're, I promise you. It, it, you know how hard it was to find the numbers that I'm going to share with you, like how much research it actually took? This is what somebody said to me once, and I, I still believe this. Whole life insurance is never bought. It's sold. It has to be sold because no one using common sense with all the information in front of them would voluntarily sign up to pay up to 10 times more for an insurance product. So you have to add emotional strings onto this security, less risk, benefit for your family, the ability to access the cash liquidity. Oh, dude, it's unreal. And then to actually pin those down to actually what you're getting is incredibly difficult. The one that was really interesting to me uh, that he mentioned to me, well, what about, because we could do whole life by itself, but like he wanted to talk about what about whole life as if you get it for your child? There's multiple layers here, but probably the most prominent one that stands out to me is actually the, the baby food company Gerber, Gerber. I don't want to get pinned down on the pronunciation there. <laughs> they make a fantastic baby food. Their insurance product though is a whole nother beast and it is a beast. So I was able to lock down kind of like what it might actually cost you. What I uncovered is that Gerber sells two different types of life insurance that are marketed for kids. One is their flagship. It's called the grow up plan. This is basically whole life insurance just for your child. And the other one is called their life college plan. This is effectively, they consider it an endowment policy. So it's a whole life insurance policy that's added as a writer. It has a guaranteed payout at the end. And basically they're marketing as a nice way for you to be able to save for college that provides you more security than the stocks, but more rate of return than a savings account. 
To be honest with you now, after finally having gotten the numbers and gotten the quotes, and let me tell you how terrifying it is to give, get a quote when you have to put a phone number in. You know how that is going to end. You're like, oh, please just give me the numbers. Please give me the numbers. I was actually able to uh, get a little bit of information. All right. Keep in mind that like what we're doing here is we're, we're selling insurance. So to sell this insurance policy, we're adding additional benefits to it outside of just having a boring old life insurance policy. We're saying, Hey, this is a great way to save for your child's college. So this life college plan is a, a, a policy that you add on for yourself. And it has two features. One is a guaranteed payout at the end of this period of time, either 10 or 20 years. And the other half of that is a life insurance policy that if in that window you were to pass away, they would get this death benefit instead. All right. There's different ways you can price it, but just for this example, if you were to pay $106 a month for 20 years, this will simultaneously, you have this insurance policy for yourself, guaranteeing this death benefit for your child. But on top of that, your child is guaranteed to get $32,000 at the end of this 20 year period of time. Now, what I'm hoping you can do is like, let's simplify this. Let's think about just what, like, first of all, do you need insurance for your child because they're a dependent? If not, you already have some term policy for yourself that you're picking up anyways. And instead you are just to invest $106 a month for 20 years and you are to get average market returns. Let's say 8% for this example. This policy is guaranteeing your child $32,000 that they can use for college. What would it look like if you were just to invest that same amount of money for that 20 year period? All right, Jonathan. So yeah, while you were talking, I just put these numbers into a investment calculator here. So we're figuring a 20 year time period. You're starting with zero. You're putting in $106 a month, getting an 8% return. I am showing nearly $63,000 in that pot of money. So 63 as compared to 32 in this case. Yeah. <laughs> they're wow. doing what a favor they're doing you. Wow. Giving you $32,000. That's crazy. So, okay, hold on. I'm going to actually try to back into what 32,000 would be. Right, like what rate of return are you getting? I, I suspect it's like a two to 3% rate of yeah, return, maybe. Holy cow. So, right, if you think about it, $106 a month for 20 years, the contributions alone is $25,440. Thank you, yes. So <laughs> if you got a 2% return, which is quite literally any of these top tier online banks, at least at the moment, I know CIT Bank, I think at last check had 2.1 as of the date of this recording, October, 2019. A 2% return would get you $31,524. Yeah, this company is guaranteeing you essentially nothing. Nothing. <laughs> All right, see, I know. So to play this out even further, like the surrender policy, so you have to make it to the midterm to even get your money back. You know what the attrition on these things are when people just stop paying it because their budget gets tights for whatever reason. If you don't make it to the 10 year point, I think you surrender your money. If you do make it to the 10 year point, but you discontinue, you just get your money back. So the, like the liquidity that you could just by having this parked in the market, or if you want more security and get, you know, put having it in a savings account, you're going to blow this thing out of the water while maintaining control of your money. Let's play this out even further. So you're saying, well, I want to make sure, cause you're being sold. Well, we know for our child, our child's going to need at least a hundred thousand dollars for school. So we're going to go all in on this plan. So how, what would it look like to get $130,000 in guaranteed cash? So let's play this out. You could, this same plan will allow you to, to donate or donate, donate. <laughs> contribute $433 a month for 20 years. And at the end of this 20 year term, they're guaranteeing you, guaranteeing you. So $433 a month for 20 years, they're guaranteeing you $131,000. And yeah, when I run my calculations with a 8% return, 
which is just our background number for a historical return. Obviously, we don't know what the future will bring, but we think 8% is, is kind of our rule of thumb that we're using as, as the background number. It comes out to almost $257,000. To, so. to go all in on the strategy because you believe this works for your child and to throw as much money as you can at it because you want to save diligently in this extreme example is a $100,000 plus dollar mistake. Um, it, it's just more of the same. Like you have to have the numbers in order to be able to do, you know, one of these calculations. These numbers are very hard to get. There are also an incredible number of terms that you need to understand in order to be able to comprehend and utilize and make sure you benefit from whole life insurance. Now compare and, and I, I realize I'm talking about, this is probably one of the worst article as I was looking through kind of the pros and cons and how this would work, that sort of thing. I, it actually popped up under stupid investments of the week. Do you remember? We just talked yeah, to Chuck Jaffe. Chuck Jaffe yeah. This actually was one of the ones that made it onto his list. And he wrote a scathing article talking about uh, these writers. They also have another one called the child grow up plan. So this is different. So what I just described to you is you're taking out a writer uh, I'm sorry, you're taking out an additional policy for yourself and then your child is benefiting from that by having this cash policy baked into it that they can use from and you get one or the other. So the other version of this marketed for children and it's by the same company, but other companies do this as well is called uh, the grow up plan. And in this case, you're effectively buying whole life insurance for the child and the way that it's marketed. And this is exactly what my my friend was talking to me about is one guaranteed insurability. This is for your child. You know, what if they were to develop a chronic disease down the road? Like now you're guaranteed to be able to get them insurance. I was like, whoa, heart shrinks. I get that. That makes total sense. That's something that I'm thinking about. Um, other things that were actually being considered, teaching a child the importance of having different types of insurance, having them understand to have these different types of things in place. But like once I was able to get myself just one or two steps removed from the heartstrings there and just think about it objectively, I was just looking like, is there really any condition that you wouldn't be able to get insurance for? Like you might pay more, but when I was just doing some basic research, talking, looking at what different agents were saying, they were basically saying almost every condition is insurable. Now you might pay for more. That's a question. If you're an, you're an audience, you're an insurance agent, are there health conditions that are not insurable that you would need to be aware of? Maybe that's actually valuable information, but I think the scaremongering and assuming that that is guaranteed to happen to you ahead of time is really an issue. But to pay that out out the door at an early age when you don't even know that's going to be the case is is frankly silly. And to the point of whole life insurance or really just life insurance in general, it is to provide income for those who are dependent upon your income who outlive you. Now, just common sense here. Think about this for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of families. When we're talking about a whole life insurance for a child or life insurance for a child, the child is the dependent. They are the ones that would need that income if you were to pass. It doesn't go the other way, but for like the exceptions, you know, Ryan's toys, man, that kid's parents, wow. Uh, you know, child actors that we can think of, Macaulay Culkin, Dakota Fanning, you know, these types of personas where they are the primary breadwinner and the parents are the agents, you know, or managing them for good or ill. <laughs> like these are the rare circumstances where life insurance policy would make sense. But for most of us, it's not the case. You know, you need to insure yourself and then you want to help your children on their path to financial independence. You don't need to give them insurance products. Yeah, this really makes no sense to me. Having life insurance for a child, it's exactly that. It's to provide them their heirs with money in case of their untimely death. So using these heartstrings, I mean, this is, this is an issue 30 plus years in the future. 
they're basically, it's like misdirection. They're trying to make you seem like you're not providing for your kids, which is preposterous. It has nothing to do with anything. Your kids obviously don't have dependents that need money for their untimely death, right? Like this is silly season. And not to mention if the other kind of heartstring is to teach your kids in essence, financial literacy, there's a hell of a lot better way to do it than by stuffing them in whole life insurance, right? (laughs) You can do it through a simple allowance or let's go to the bank or, I mean, all sorts of things that we talk about all the time here on the podcast. Giving them options to have multiple insurance policies is not, not it. I can guarantee you that. The second piece of this that I wanted to talk about just for a second is the the actual case for whole life insurance, that you need insurance through your whole life. And the benefit of whole life insurance is that you get access to cash to an investment vehicle that's building inside your plan. So whole life, cash value life insurance, there's a couple different variants of this, universal, et cetera. But most of them, basically the difference is, is what they actually do with the cash that's being accrued inside the plan. So with this policy, some portion of your premium is going to this cash investment and some is actually going to the insurance policy. And that makes them a lot more expensive. The upshot is that regardless of how long you live or when you die, as long as you have paid up on the premiums or are paying your premiums, and there's a slight difference there, one being you have enough in your cash value to cover your premiums going forward. And the other one being you are continuing to pay your premiums, you're going to get this payout. Now, I thought just for the sake of uh, an analysis we could just do a little compare and contrast using the simplest example that I can come up with. And actually it's too conservative by far because as you get older in age, so for instance, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, you're starting to look at this at these older age brackets. The difference between what you what it would cost you to get a term policy and what it would cost you to get a comparable whole, whole life policy for a $500,000 policy for a $1 million policy. I mean, it, it, it's completely absurd, but uh, we will stick with this more conservative conservative example between me and my friend for now. Uh, he is getting a somewhere between three hundred to $500,000 whole life plan, and he's paying $250 a month for it. I, on the other hand, just got a quote yesterday because with the birth of our daughter, I wanted to increase my term a little bit more. Uh, and so I got an $800,000 policy. It's a term policy, 20 years. And I got that for about 30 bucks a month. And I used Policy Genius to actually go through and, and, you know, do a little compare and contrast with different brokers. And basically for me, I have 20 years. If I were to pass away within the next 20 years, uh, they would pay out $800,000. So Brad, what I thought we could do is if we take the difference between those two, which is $220 a month, and you run that over the next 20 years, uh, what would that be if we were to get average market returns? Because that's the difference between what I'm paying on my insurance and what he's paying on his. So, right, Jonathan, just to slow down, what you're saying is when he's buying whole life insurance, he's buying a combo, which is really where they get you. This is fee laden and it's a combination of life insurance and investment, which to my brain, they have nothing to do with each other. But in this case, insurance agents and this industry has decided to be able to basically snooker people into figuring. Let's make these boring products more interesting. (laughs) Right, right. They need to go together. Whereas you're saying the underlying term policy in your case is only $30 a month. So some insurance company and some underwriters have determined, okay, this life insurance policy costs $30 a month and you're taking the additional $220 and investing it into low cost index funds, right? Whereas your friend is basically contractually obligated in essence to put the combination of those two, $250 per month into this whole life insurance policy, which will have some component of insurance and some component of investments or whatever it may be. 
So in your case, if you invested that 220 per month into low-cost index funds, at the end of 20 years, you will have $130,000 sitting in your investment account. All right, great. Now that is point one. So $130,000. So I'm 34 now. That means that I am 54 years old at this particular point in time. Now let's play that out. Let's say that I were to pass away at the ripe old age of 80 years old. What would that 130,000 be if it were to stay in the market until my death for to, to be left to my heirs? All right, Jonathan. So yeah, just rolling that forward, assuming you're investing $0 additionally, right? So we just had that 130K at 54 this money is going to sit in your investment account. And again, we're assuming that 8% return, it will be $961,000. All right, and this is this is mine. This isn't buried in any sort of fees or anything else. Like this is something that I have control of end to end, and I'm doing it at 30 bucks a month while saving for my family's future. If they, I'm self-insured, and this is just what I'm doing on the life insurance side. This has nothing to do with what I'm doing for my personal investments, but it's explainable. It makes sense. There's no need for complexity. There's no need for hard strings. It's just based on simple math. To go back to my friend, to this example, you know, the counterpoint will be, well, on my case, I have the 500,000, but I also have the cash value that's been building in the count. But no, no, you don't. It's one or the other. You get the cash value ahead of time. You can use the cash value to cover the premiums if you want to. But at death, if they pay this amount out, they keep your cash. It's not coming back with you. If you take your cash out, you have to pay it back with a loan. Like, and there's these all these nuances that actually go onto these policies. But cash is more like liquidity during your life. It's accessing a portion of your benefit ahead of time, but you don't get both. So you either get this cash value that is going to be some amount less than your death benefit, significantly less, or you're going to get the death benefit, whichever one comes first. And then there's also something where like, well, I want the cash with no strings attached. I just want it. I don't want to pay it back. That sort of thing. That's what you call a surrender. And at that point you get even less than the actual cash value, you it's it's something minus the fees, minus taxes. It's a smaller amount than even what is being projected. So I think a lot of people think, wow, I'm getting this incredible death benefit and I'm getting this cash value insurance because that's what they told me. And because it's really hard to find anything else that says otherwise, you're not. It's either or. So in my case, in my friend's case, his best case scenario, I guess for his family, was getting the five hundred thousand dollar death benefit. You know. My family has the insurance term the entire time, and there's going to be $900,000 waiting for them with effectively no strings attached, no hoops that I have to jump through in order to make sure that I qualify for it. It's just, you just got to reframe it, but you should be able to explain your strategy. And as soon as somebody brings you something that is so complex, you need someone to handhold your way through it. It's a really good sign that things are about to go off the rails. So I did a version of this kind of run through with my friend and I was like, is that okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to talk you out of it or anything. I realized once you're in on these policies, there is a point at which like you have already paid out the nose and it becomes less bad just to stick with it. Um, but he's like, no, dude, I love this. I'm a data enthusiast. <laughs> so there's two other points I want to make. And I, I mentioned it earlier. One of them is make note of this, that term policies pay out less than 1% of the time, right? And that, that's a good thing because they pay out when you die. That means that you lived longer than, you know, the term that you, that you set up. So the goal here is to reach financial independence before your term runs out. Make sure that you have set a term, which if you don't think you're going to have hit your number by that period of time, then get a longer term. This, you, you don't want them to pay out. You want to have reached the point where you're self-insured before your term expires. So it's not a bad thing that term pays out less than 1% of the time. The other point I wanted to make quickly, just because I can, I can feel it coming 
They're, you're going to hear individuals saying, well, the wealthy use whole life insurance. This is a tool of the wealthy. Don't you want to do what the wealthy does? And uh, I even have a friend uh, that is a proponent of whole life insurance and has made this case to me before. And, and I see where he's coming from. And a lot of this goes to being your own bank. It relies on some themes that you can Google it. It's called infinite banking or being able to avoid estate tax, that sort of thing. Like this is for the ultra wealthy or for people that have already beaten the game. I can have an intellectually honest conversation with my friend and he will be the first to acknowledge that this is a suboptimal way of accruing wealth. You will accrue wealth less quickly, but it could be a good diversification play if you've already beaten the game or are well on the way to beating the game. Uh, and in his mind, you know, basically what he's done, even though he's making less returns. So like you pay out the nose, you make negative returns for basically up to that first like 10 years. At 12 years, you're starting to break even. And at that point, it's starting to look like a slightly better investment. Maybe after you're like 15 years in, but at this particular point in time, you're getting a pretty good dividend and you have this cash value that you can borrow from. And, you know, at that point, you can start treating it like a bank and depending on what you have set up. And this is going too far into the weeds, but it's not correlated to the stock market. So like if the stock market goes down, you can then draw on this money. The problem is that's great if you've already hit your number, you know, but if you're trying to hit your number faster, this will slow you down. This is not a great tool for you to get to your number. It's potentially a tool. <laughs> it's potentially a tool. You know, once you're past your number, I at least understand it. I do, you know, and, and so being able to accept suboptimal returns like this and it be okay is a real luxury, but that's the vast minority of people, which is why this is being sold to you. And you should not be swayed by this just for the appearance of, for the perception of being financially sophisticated. <laughs> Don't be swayed by it. I mean, Brad, I'm sure both of us would be happy at some point in the future to circle back and talk about some of these tactics and strategies and actually look at where it might fit. But there certainly is no compelling case to do so right now. And for truly the vast, vast majority of people, this is something to be avoided. Anyways, I don't know. Does that, hopefully that's helpful and, and simple, Brad. But I, you know, I think it's a huge problem if you spend hours trying to find the numbers and you're stuck on all these theoretical benefits that you might have, but you don't even know what they are. You just, oh, well, someone told me it's a good idea. And it's also one of the reasons that when you have an advisor, like someone that also makes significant commissions off selling these products, you don't know what you're getting. Are you just getting the raw data? Are you getting a commission sales load, a sales pitch? And it's being all these heartstrings, emotional threads are being tacked onto this. It just, it makes things very difficult to get to truth and know what's the right thing to do for your family. So just, that's why in the past episodes, when we talked about is the first thing you're getting recommended on a whole life insurance policy. I thought it was important for us to kind of spend a little bit more time here to talk about why it's so irritable, right? Why it's one of those things you're like, why? Why are we mixing these two? If I'm here to get help with my investments, why are you pitching me on an insurance product posing as a financial investment? I just, I'm not a believer. All right, Jonathan. Well, switching gears here. That was uh, certainly comprehensive and hopefully mostly fact-based <laughs> as opposed to emotion-laden. But No emotion no, whatsoever. None, none whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this Monday episode with Tyson from On Trajectory was great. And we're definitely going to follow up once we... We personally go through the software much more significantly, and we have members of our community, and hopefully you guys, you can get a free trial. Just go to chooseify.com slash OT for On Trajectory. So chooseify.com slash OT.
So let's go ahead and bring MK into this conversation. MK, welcome to the show today. Excited to bring in some feedback from the community. What do you got for us? Yeah, we have a lot of really great wins. So I am very excited to share these with you guys. The first is coming from Denise. So she wrote to us and said, you guys need me to do something crazy. And I was like, oh no. Uh Um, And then I read the message and it was good crazy. It was fun crazy. So Denise writes, you guys made us do something crazy. I just need to say thank you. My husband introduced me to your podcast last year. We took away so many actual tips, backdoor Roth, cutting cable, travel hacks, setting up an HSA, opening Vanguard account. You even inspired us to start a personal finance blog. We kind of stopped writing it after we kind of got off the FI track at the end of last year. Uh, Last week, though, we did something crazy. Well, most people will think we're crazy, but my husband and I knew it was the right thing to do. We sold our house in Northern Virginia. We bought it three years ago, 5% down, PMI up the wazoo, low interest rate, still had to take out a TSP loan. We also paid for landscapers and house cleaners. All in all, we were probably dropping 5K on this house every month. It was just the two of us living in a four-bed, four-bath house. I just remember listening to your podcast, listening to your guests, and so many times thinking, we need to sell our house. We were basically throwing our money in a very fancy garbage. <laughs> we have fr- <laughs> we've had friends say, oh, but what about equity, appreciation? We spent the better part of a year making spreadsheets, coming up with ideas for side hustles, thinking about the house hacking. That was hard to pass from her husband. Um, so maybe they were could have been reconvinced by Craig's episode last week, but they, he said no, hard pass. All in all, we knew that this was the right choice. She came to understand that saying that in debt is what Americans have become used to, and especially with these silly low interest rates. So now she says, we're running a few miles south of where we used to live and getting ourselves set up for success. With the proceeds from the house, we're paying off the TSP loan, a car we bought, and setting our finances to a place that is comfortable. We couldn't be happier with the place we live in now, and honestly, our lives are forever changed. Wow, that is incredible. And I it's amazing when you can reframe that, like how much value are you getting from your home? If you are spending 5,000 plus dollars a month and in your mind, it's like, I feel like we're just throwing this in a very fancy garbage bin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's wonderful. I will not forget that anytime soon. But to me, the sentence that sticks out is we are getting ourselves set up for success. That's the framework of this mentally. They're getting themselves set up for future success by making hard choices now. Is it easy to follow the Joneses and continue to live in this very expensive garbage can, basically? Yes, of course it would be. Their friends are saying, oh, what about the appreciation? What about this other stuff? They're probably cutting three to $4,000 a month. And that's today. And that enables them to lay this financial ground game that they get rid of this other debt. They pay back that loan. It's not based on some future fanciful appreciation that may or may not happen. Who the hell knows if there's going to be appreciation, right? But you know, if you save $3,000 a month and you pay off debt and you invest that money once the debt's paid off, you're going to be in a heck of a lot better place. So this is incredible. And we have another big savings from Javier. So not as epic as uh, selling a house, but still pretty awesome. So Javier wrote, I've gone to CrossFit on and off for the past seven years, which I know Brad and Jonathan, you guys are going together now. So you guys can all bond together. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) He said he only ever stopped to save money telling himself I can exercise on my own for free. Each time he did this, he lost motivation, gained on average 40 pounds back, lost one of the favorite social aspects of his life, which was going to CrossFit. So he started up again six months ago. He writes, I told myself I never wanted to give it up again. It was a value decision I was comfortable factoring into my fine number. However, last week, I asked my CrossFit gym owner if I could pay a lump sum to 
be a member for life instead of paying $150 a month. And he said he'd never had anyone ask him the question before. So $3,500 later, I became the first lifetime member at his gym. Now for the awesome Phi math. So $3,500 seems like a lot. He says, I'm aware that this only works if I stay where I'm located, which I intend to do for the foreseeable future. And even if it's still only a two-year payback, $3,500 spent now allows me to save $1,800 a year. That's a guaranteed 51% ROI. On top of which, I've already set up automatic investing for the additional $150 a month to help me reach my fine number faster. And using the 4% rule, I figured I can now account for spending $1,800 less per year than I originally thought, bringing my fine number down by $30,000. This is the advantage of pursuing FI. Having available funds gives you so many options in which you can take advantage of wins that most people living paycheck to paycheck can't. Hashtag my why of FI. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's epic. That is very cool. I mean, this goes back to a theme we've had on the podcast for a while, which is everything is negotiable. And yeah, we had Anthony Gary in episode 138 talk about how he negotiated to pay off PMI. And that was just a cool thing. Everything is negotiable. So I love that. And actually, I wanted to do a little update here. So Javier said he's spending basically $150 per month. That's what he was spending. So that would be $1,800 per year. And he's saying that would reduce his fine number by $30,000. But actually, some good news, it's going to reduce it by $45,000. So the back of the envelope math that we use is for every $100 per month, that you cut out, that's $30,000 that you need less in your FI number ultimately. Because just the actual math of this is you take the $100 per month, multiply by 12 to get your annual expense. So in that case, it's $1,200. And then you multiply by 25. So that's what we say is, you know, it's 25 times your annual expenses, right? So in this case, $1,200 times 25 is $30,000. So in his case, it's 150 bucks a month which is 45K saved. That's not nothing, right? Yeah, and it's a great way of looking at recurring costs. Uh, Brad, I, we got to like test this thing out. I would I would totally do that. I don't know if they'd be open to it or not, but it's certainly a conversation worth having. And, and honestly, I had seen this uh, note from Javier. I knew we were going to be uh, talking about it on an upcoming show, but I hadn't actually seen the details yet. I'm blown away. That is, That's incredible. I wonder how many other recurring costs that you have in your life could be solved with one sort of settlement type payout. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Exactly. And Brad, I don't know if you realize, we actually have a bit more on Anthony to talk about today. So he mentioned on episode 138 about what he did in college to save on uh, some of his housing costs. So Terry wrote in with an add-on of another way that he actually took it to the next level from what Anthony did. So Terry writes, just got done hearing about Anthony talking about being an RA. The gig gets more lucrative. When residence assistants graduate, they can become a hall director, also known as a residence director, community supervisor. Go to higheredjobs.com to check out salaries. They typically range from 15 to 40K with free housing and tuition reimbursement. For example, I was paid 80, I was paid 18K room and board and a completely free master's program through the university. I later became the director of housing and lived in a five-bedroom house, free rent, meal plan, cell phone, and made 35K, which is probably one of the worst salaries for this position in the nation. (laughs) The university has only 1,000 students. Know another crazy program, if you work for a university, you oftentimes can take classes for free. At our university, even the janitor could take up to six credits per year. Furthermore, if you had a child, they could apply for universities involved in a cohort that offered completely free tuition to those students. Check it out here. And he has a link to CIC.edu. And we'll include that in the show notes. 
So he says, crazy, I know. My former supervisor sent both of her children to private colleges, tuition-free using this program. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. When you start stacking these together, maybe you get college for 80 cents too, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get Laura right on it. You get the Laura award. Well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Excellent. Yeah. So Terry heard Anthony's episode and had something to add on to it. Well, Anthony heard Tori's episode from a couple of weeks ago, and he had some added tips for negotiating that were non-monetary based benefits. So he left us a voicemail. So we're going to play that right now. Hey, Brad and Jonathan. I hope you're both doing quite well, as Brad would say. Anthony Gary here from Choose FI episode 138. And I want to give a shout out to this week's guest, Tori, especially for her strategies to aid in negotiating salary. Tori briefly mentioned other things you can negotiate besides salary. And I feel this is important because it may feel less abrasive to negotiate items other than salary. And those items could positively impact your life as much or maybe more than an increased salary would. I wrote a blog post earlier this year and called it The Ultimate Guide to Negotiating and Understanding a Job Offer, and I wrote it because it's important to fully understand all of the benefits a company is offering you besides salary before you consider countering or asking for extra perks or fringe benefits. For example, you don't want to counter asking for the company to provide you with a life insurance policy only to be told they were going to provide one anyway. Other things that you might find worth negotiating are your start date with your new employer, having the new employer cover your COBRA costs if, for example, the new benefits don't start immediately, and find out whether the new company is going to cover your cell phone, laptop, tablet, or any other technologies you'd like to have heading into this new job. Find out if you can get a sign-on bonus or recurring perks like the company paying for gym memberships or other wellness benefits. You can even get as detailed to negotiating that you want an adjustable standing desk in your workspace. Or better yet, do you need to work in that workspace? Maybe you can work from home, maybe a coffee shop. Where do you wish to work? Remember that everything is negotiable. I will share the link to the entire blog post from this week's show notes if you're interested. I hope these ideas can bring value to the ChooseFI community. Keep up the good work, guys. Love the show. Thanks. Brad, I think he's right on. Yeah, that's a great voicemail from Anthony. So thanks for sending it in. And yeah, I mean, just something like negotiating where you can work. I mean, that's a cool one, especially in this day and age. You do not have to be chained to an office. That really stuck out to me. I think negotiating the number of days of vacation is something that also jumps out to me that, I mean, while there are policies, everything is negotiable. So just consider something like that. That is really, really important to you. And even just changing the frame that it's not always about the actual salary, like everyone should be negotiating. And if you're not negotiating on your number, you know, or you feel like that's not a movable object, having an a la carte menu that you can pick from really allows you to go in and say, I think in order to be fair and competitive in this market, I would need, you know, remote working conditions or something like this. I mean, that's a different frame altogether. And then the one other piece, I mean, just to highlight that. Don't try to negotiate on something you're already getting just because you forgot to check. (laughs) I can totally see that. And that is going to suck all the wind out of your sails. Oh, yeah. Well, we are going to do that. We always do that. (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of look like a bozo, right? You're going to look really, really stupid. Oh, dude. uh, I'm not. My wife's told me I'm I'm not allowed to say stupid around the kids. That word has to get strict from the vocabulary. I'm I'm letting it. I'm letting it creep in on the show here. So (laughs) got to reel it in. Awesome. And what was great about what Anthony said and tying it back to even what Terry had said previously about getting education paid for, the first companies I worked with all offered education benefits and I took advantage of them. 
Mm. If I could get free certifications, free courses. And then when I went to my last company, they didn't offer it. So that was part of what I said was, oh, well, my compensation package at my current job includes X many thousand dollars of education benefits. If you can't offer education benefits, can you increase my compensation by that amount? And that was how I was able to make a big jump in my actual take-home pay. So that's another way that you can leverage that if your company is saying, we will reimburse you for master's degrees courses or certifications or things like that. That's all something that you can leverage in your next offer. You know, this is actually an interesting point while we're talking about benefits. Some employers, and Anthony actually just mentioned this, offer life insurance. Now, if your company is offering it to you for free, whether it be whole or term, take it, do it. But if they're charging you, then look and see what the difference in price is. And then also simultaneous to that, I have heard this and I think that this is a good idea. You don't want your only form of life insurance to be tied to the company that you work for, because if that employment were to end for any reason, then a lot of times they're contingent. They're based on two. So you will want to look and likely get some sort of additional policy that you're using to cover yourself. So anyways, tying it back to the beginning of the episode, that's probably worth mentioning. Great. Well, we have a few more wins to get to. So Brad, I think you're going to get a little envious with this one. So just oh, get ready for oh, it. Wow. Okay. So Jennifer writes, hi guys. I just wanted to mention that I've been driving a 1992 Honda Civic SI since my son was four years old. Just to note, this car is going to be 30 in a few years. Wow, it's just, okay. Just a moment. Okay. My dad bought it brand new from the dealership and gave it to me when he bought a new Volkswagen Golf, which only lasted a couple of years. Today is my son's 20th birthday and the Honda is still my only vehicle. It has been an outstanding daily car and travel car. I've driven up and down the Pacific coast in the last year from Seattle to LA and back. It is definitely rated high in consumer reports as well. I get an average of 35 to 38 miles per gallon and the interior capacity is great. I brought home 20 10 foot long PVC pipes from Home Depot in it on Saturday. I packed, three pe- <laughs> I packed three people camping gear for a week inside and three bikes on the back for a trip to Yellowstone a couple summers ago. I'm definitely going to drive this thing until it won't drive anymore. I think it has 265,000 miles on it now. It's like a member of the family and my son tries to get it from me even though he drives a 2015 BMW, but I won't hand it over because I know he'll ride it out. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. The podcast keeps me motivated and always looking for new ways to feed both sides of the equation, more income and less expenses. Thanks, Jennifer. That was awesome. That's fantastic. Wow. Brad, I remember when we started the show, your uh, golden boy had just passed 100,000 miles, yeah. I think. What's it at now? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't drive that much, which is great. So it's actually only at 126,000 miles. So yeah, I mean, I think I'm only putting on sub 5,000 miles a year on at this point, which is great, obviously. I think, sadly, the biggest contributor is CrossFit now. That's, that's Why funny. is it so far away? <laughs> <laughs> Why does it have to be three and a half miles they from home? They moved farther away from us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we actually wrote an article. It's on choosefi.com. We'll have it linked up in the show notes. Uh, it was written by Clint. Longest lasting cars on the road today. And I actually mentioned it to you yesterday uh, because I was just rolling through it and the level of detail that was actually included on it is incredible. And we all know, although we may not have pinned it down, that there are cars that will last forever, a la Golden Boy and this 30-year-old bad boy that we just talked about. And then there are other cars that simply won't. And honestly, regardless of whether or not you finance a car or you pay for the car cash, the largest determinant of how much this car is going to cost you is how long you drive it before you turn it over and you buy the next one. And in a perfect world, you have something that you drive forever, you know, like 10, 15 years, 15 years would be ideal. Brad, you're on like 17 now, I think. Right. So it would be useful then if you're starting from scratch to 
get a list of the ones that have the best track record for length of time. This article kind of teased that up for you. So maybe gives you a place to start. We'll have it linked up in the show notes for this episode. But I think coming up with a list of reliable cars that will do what they need to do, get you from point A to point B is the very valuable way of looking at it. And very few people win with cars, like win, like make positive income. There are a few, but it is possible to lose less badly. And I think this is a practical way of doing that for people in all walks of life. MK, I love hearing all these wins. I know you and I were talking offline, how these just, they make us happy. And what we've actually decided is to do an end of the year episode for wins. It's just going to be voicemails and us reading emails and Facebook posts and such. We really need you guys to send us your wins. We want to give you the shout out on the show. So send it in any way you want. You can send us an email to feedback at Chooseify. You can send a voicemail in. Just go to chooseify.com slash voicemail, or I'm sure we'll be scouring the Facebook page, et cetera. We'd love to feature you. It doesn't have to be this amazing, massive set of changes. It can just be one or two little things, but we want to feature your voice. So send that in. We're going to have that. The year end is coming up soon. It's crazy. It's October 15th when we're recording this, and we've got about two months to get this set. So please send in those wins ASAP, and we'll get it all queued up. I think it's actually going to come out on December 30th. So there's Monday, December 30th. Let's get that rocking and rolling and make that just a really special and make that a really special annual event. It's, and if you think about it, you're on this journey with us, right? I mean, so every single year you're getting a little bit farther to your goal. There'll be many of you. I mean, if we're still, we will still be doing this, but let's say five years from now, we're still doing this, right? How many of you found this concept because of this podcast, started making small changes, were empowered by that to make additional changes and are rapidly on the path to financial independence. How many of you are getting to debt-free while listening to the show and are starting? We want to know all of that. Your stage on this journey, the actions that you've taken, help us inspire the rest of the community with your story. That's really what this is all about. And we'll be talking about this for the next several Friday roundups as we start to collect your stories and bring those, find a way to bring those in the show. All right, MK, what kind of local group updates do we have today? Well, we have several events coming up on October 24th. Orlando is going to be having a meeting with Paul Merriman. So they heard what the Seattle group did a couple of weeks ago, and they wanted in on that same activity. So Paul Merriman's going to be there for them. And then on October 25th, the Gainesville local group is having an annual camping trip. They've decided to make it annual. It's their first camping trip they're doing at Leno State Park and River Rise Preserve. So this is another fellow Florida writer. BC is helping to get this organized. So this is amazing that she took the initiative to do this. And I'm kind of also using this as a moment to remind you guys to be somewhere next week. So October 23rd, the Chooseify book tour is having its final stop in Richmond, Virginia. So Brad and Jonathan, please be sure that you're there at 630. (laughs) (laughs) We will be. How many emails have you sent us now? We have a a public call for it too. Yeah, exactly. So you'll be there for sure. So everybody else go and get there and We actually sold out of books at the Salt Lake City event that we had last weekend. So I would highly suggest if you are considering going, get there early so you can get your copy of the book signed by Brad and Jonathan. Are you going to be there? Yes. Yes, we will. Sounds awesome. 630, bright and early. Bring our coffee with us and excited to to meet you and yeah, talk about the book. Yeah, we're really excited with how well the book tour has been going. And for anybody who has requested at their library, thank you so much. We actually had a listener, Dwayne, right in to remind us that for those who are considering, hey, I read the book. I still want to get it out to my community. You can donate the book to your library. You can donate the cost of the book to your library system because 
their libraries. They you know need some love too. So that is another way that you can contribute to help get the book out to the larger community. So thank you, Dwayne, for that reminder. And speaking of reminders, bringing it back to our local groups. We actually have a new local group that we want to give a shout out to today, and that is Bellingham, Washington. So welcome to the community. So if your city has a local group or doesn't have one, you want to start one, you know, definitely reach out. And speaking of all of the amazing cities that we have represented in the Choose a Fi family, we want to know which ones are the best for Fi. If you're somebody who's looking to live that Fi lifestyle, what's the best cities that has the best benefits, the best public resources, the best cost of living, the most Aldi to uh, library ratio. <laughs> Aldi to library <laughs> ratio? Is that something we could get printed up? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that'd be awesome. If you haven't already, please go to choosethefi.com slash cities of Fi and take the survey there. Um, it is very detailed. So if you can take a couple minutes, that would really help us to be able to put out the comprehensive list of the best U.S. cities for FI. And we will do something for our international audience coming soon. Brad, I was just hoping, could you spell, could you clarify the spelling of that URL? <laughs> I think you're bringing this up again, just so I can spell it. Yeah, it's choosefi.com slash C-I-T-I-E-S-O-F-F-I, Cities of Fi. I appreciate you ensuring a good listener experience. Just want you to know that. <laughs> you're welcome. All right. Well, unfortunately, that is going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. Uh, we are offering our book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And if you want to win a copy of this book, all you need to do is just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review, and then send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce the winner on the Friday Roundup. MK, how many winners do we have today? Well, today we have two winners. So the first is from James. So he says, fire is truly the next level of life mastery. It wasn't until Choose a Fi came along that our family radically changed our life direction in all aspects, not just financially. I am finally catching up on all the great actionable tips that guests provide that allow us to improve daily and spread the message to others. To celebrate two years pursuing fire, I helped organize our sold out Playing With Fire movie premiere for our South Florida group last month with a happy hour, including my family and friends. I am excited about opportunities that are coming up, such as offering financial wellness for schools and adults. Our daughters are learning the concepts and are planning life a life of abundance in the future castles. We are also helping others change their lives as well. Thank you, Brad, Jonathan, and the team for all that you do. The fire is spreading. All right, James, congratulations to you and your family. And MK, I think we have a second winner this week as well. We do. This is from Drea. So Drea writes, holy crap, man, this podcast is dope. I absolutely hate finance stuff and money talk feels crass and rude. That Puritan upbringing wears its ugly head. So finding a podcast that can explain life planning and optimizing my human existence in a non-preachy, not at all judgy way is awesome. I started listening a month and a half ago and discovered I've been what's been bugging me in my life. What is the point of working and being in debt? So I used our tax return to pay off my partner's car. He's super jazzed, BTW. Three <laughs> other credit cards, started tracking and budgeting, signed up for the Chase Sapphire card to restart our travel life, purchased the ice binder, and switched to an MVNO for her cell phone. 
All of that in less than two months. Dope, right? We have a crazy story and Chooseify is riding shotgun on our adventures. Keep it going and keep taking names. The fire is burning slowly for some and five alarm for others. Peace and love. Wow. <laughs> All right. I'm not sure I can plausibly use the word dope in a sentence, but man, Drea, that is amazing. Just say it, Brad. Just say it. Oh, that is dope. <laughs> <laughs> that was dope. <laughs> This was the episode. This is the episode you heard Brad say dope. <laughs> All right, my friends, if you're interested in getting a quote on term life insurance for yourself and your family, I just did it this past week. Rates are unbelievably affordable for 20, 30 year terms. Uh, to do to use the one that I use, we use Policy Genius. If you want to get a quote for yourself and your family and simultaneously support the show, you can go to choosefi.com slash policy. I mean, honestly, it takes less than three minutes to get a quote and you won't regret it. They compare and contrast the top 30 or so brokers. You'll get an amazing package and do all the heavy lifting just with a couple button clicks. So, all right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.